0: It's game day, USC football fans. Get up to speed on the Trojans and their opponents with the USCfootball.com paris pregame show. Host Ryan Abraham, Shotgun Unspradling, and Keely Ur. break down the game from all angles with the in-depth analysis, interviews from the practice field, and expert insights from media members covering the opposition. Let's jump right in and kick things off with USCfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham.
1: Hello Trojan fans, welcome to the uscfootball.com Paristyle pregame show at uscfootball.com. We cover the Trojans 24 hours a day, 365 days a year with reports, analysis, interviews, podcasts, photos, videos, and lots more. Make sure you check out the site for wall-to-wall USC coverage. The Peristyle pregame show is proudly sponsored by Trader Joe's. Stop by your neighborhood Trader Joe's for all your tailgating needs like canned wine, elote spiced corn chips, and yes, even hummus. We aren't afraid of interesting food at a tailgate party. All right, let's bring in Keely and Shotgun and give out our awards from the Washington game.
2: Well, first up, starting on offense, have to give it to running back Stephen Carr. He broke off for a 60-yard run. That's the Stephen Carr we know and have seen before in his freshman year. He had 94 yards on seven carries. Overall, I would say like a 1B if you want to give awards. USC's running backs, 212 yards on 33 carries. They showed some life, some bursts against UW. We'll see if they can carry it over into Notre Dame.
3: A group that was kind of a big question mark going into the game is our defensive award. We're going to give it to the secondary as a whole. You had a guy with like Talanoa Hufunga and Elijah Griffin out. Who's going to step up, make some plays? All of the guys did. You know, you saw Isaac Taylor Stewart, you know, really make some nice plays. You saw Greg Johnson and Chase Williams. You know, that whole group played much better than anticipated going in. Thought it might be a weakness. Instead, it was a strength. They held Jacob Eason in check for the most part.
1: Yeah, that's a little cheating, Shotgun. I'm going to let it slide because Jacob (laughs) Eason did only throw for 180 yards and it was a decimated secondary. They played really well. You know another guy who played well? Our defensive – well, this is our lineman award, but it's been the defensive lineman three times. It's been Jay Tefele. He's got a sack, two tackles for loss. He won it against Utah. He won it against BYU. We're going to give it to him again against Washington. Absolute beast in the middle of that line. Not only did he take up blockers, but he actually gets out there and makes plays. So Jay Defele doing a great job for USC in that front four.
2: Now for our special teams award, we have to give it to the punter, Ben Griffiths. You know, he's been up and down the season. That was kind of indicative in the UW game. His first punt was his worst of the season, but he bounced back, got back on his feet. He had a fifty yard, a 54-yard punt and got his average up to 41 yards. So he's, he's working on it. He's getting better. We've seen some good punts in practice, and hopefully that transfers over into games.
1: We're starting to see a little of that Ben Griffiths we saw in practice and in fall camp. So we'll see if he can keep that going. They're going to need him against Notre Dame. Lighting the torch, our award for best play of the game. We're going to combine a couple, and it's going to go to true freshman Max Williams, who had a hamstring injury, Alex obviously had that knee surgery last year, gets his first start in place of Greg Johnson, who missed the first quarter by violation of team rules. We saw Max Williams get in there and get a sack of Jacob and then force a fumble down near the goal line that Washington did jump on for a touchdown, but it was a great play by Max Williams. So getting his first start out there, we hadn't seen him in a USC uniform in game action, and he really made an impact playing those first 15 minutes for USC.
3: And don't be surprised you see him continue to get a little bit more action. He's a guy that the coaches really like. Let's look at something the coaches don't like and something we didn't really like, the head scratcher why you keely talked about how well the run game was working why did you not go to the run a little bit earlier washington Mm -hmm. was showing a lot of five men box in the box you know giving you a look that says run the ball run the ball instead nine of the first 13 plays were dropbacks including a sack that set up washington for with great field position and an interception you know they had 13 i mean they had 31 total yards in that those 13 plays and you know, When they finally decided to run the ball, things began to change. They had a 15-yard run on the final play of the first quarter, and then things started to open up for the offense.
2: And now for the fixer upper of the week, I think it goes without saying turnovers. USC has to clean that area up. It was another three interception game for a USC quarterback, and it's just hard to win the game when you turn over the ball that many times. But that actually leads us perfectly into matchups to watch against Notre Dame. Turnovers are going to be key in this game. Notre Dame is actually one of the best in the country in turnover margin, and USC is one of the worst. Ooh. The Irish are number <laughs> two in the nation in turnover margin and are tied for third with thirteen or fourteen turnovers. Forced, But on the other hand, the Trojans are 122nd in the nation in turnover margin and have 13 turnovers on the season already.
3: There's only 130 teams in the FBS, so that's not good when you're anywhere close to that number.
1: Not ideal. So USC's two losses, three interceptions were thrown. Obviously, that can't happen with Keaton Slovis in this one. He's going to get the start. His first start against BYU, you know, three picks. We talked to Graham Harrell about that, and he's not concerned about... The environment, it's not too big for Keaton Slovis. He says, you know, chalks it up to a freshman having a bad day. Well, he's not going to be able to have a bad day if USC wants to win uh in South Bend. Keaton Slovis versus that Notre Dame crowd. We didn't hear any crowd noise pumped in this week during practice, but you're gonna hear it in Notre Dame Stadium. Will Keaton Slovis be able to step up and zone that noise out, be able to just go out there and play ball and get the calls right and everything. We'll see with Keenan Slovis, but it's going to be tough with that really rowdy Notre Dame crowd.
3: And that kind of leads me, us into our last matchup, the communication on the offensive line. Can the offensive tackles hear what is going on in the interior? Are they going to get all the calls right? Because our last matchup to look at is those tackles. You know, Austin Jackson on one side, Drew Richmond on the other, facing off against some senior defensive ends, some talented guys in Notre Dame. Julian Aquara has four sacks already. Khalid Kareem has two and a half sacks. They also have two more senior defensive ends. And Austin Jackson told me, he said, those guys have some advanced pass rush techniques that if they get in those third and long situations, you get a false start or something that backs you up, a holding call, that's when you're going to see those come out. That's going to be a big matchup. Can they keep Keaton Slovis clean in the pocket? If they can, that gives you time to attack the secondary and USC's receivers we know are one of the most talented groups in the country. And another guy that could play into that is actually Eric Cromenhook, who's played the tight end position, the H back position. How is he used? Do they need him to help chip on one of those guys before he goes out in a pass route? You know, we talked to him this week, Ryan. You caught up with him to talk about the environment of Notre Dame and you know what is expected out of him, what he's been doing to have some success.
1: All right, here with Eric Cromenhook, USC tight end, I guess slash H back. I want to see how the first of all how the uh, bye week went for you
4: guys. Good. Uh, yeah, I think just uh, getting healthy at some positions um, and just, just focusing on some things that we were uh, trying to work on throughout the, the games that you might not have as much time to work on throughout the week, um, whether or not you're seeing going to see it in the game or not. So just um, tuning up some plays and just getting healthy all around. I think it was really good. How much
1: focus was on Notre Dame last week with you know, no opponent this past weekend?
4: Uh, I think there was a little bit, but mostly just focusing on ourselves and focusing on what we can get better at and then towards the end of the week maybe getting a little bit head start but uh mostly just on us and, and trying to figure out what we need to do to get better
1: how's it been for you this year i mean you kind of throw it into that h-back role like look, look a little bit different you know tight ends like h-back you guys use that a lot in this offense how have you felt like comfortable doing it, you're, you're getting a lot of playing time out there
4: yeah uh it's de- definitely a lot different from playing on the ball which is what i've done uh, most of my career but playing h-back is, is is fun as well um just a little different different techniques different footwork see the field a little differently um but you know, each week we're getting better, and uh, I think that's the biggest thing. Just keep getting better, and uh, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun getting to play a lot, and it's been a blast.
1: It seems like it's working. Our, our shotgun does a lot of stats, and when the H back is in there, you guys are really you know of eight eight yards to play or something like that. It seems like it's very effective. How do you, how do you feel like in the meetings and stuff when the H back plays are in there that that they are working well?
4: Yeah, um, you know, I think I think part of the H back position is just. Especially on those uh, long runs that um, kind of broke open the last couple of weeks, I think just just getting on your man. And we're really learning how to um, play from the backfield and the techniques and stuff that it that it takes to block those guys uh, in the secondary from the backfield. So I think as we even sharpen that up, uh, we'll get even more of those big plays. But yeah, it's definitely definitely good. Uh, um, have those big plays come when we're in the backfield, and uh, it's been a lot of fun.
1: It's more of a, you know, people call it an air raid, but you've been, you know, doing a lot of blocking there. How have you felt you've developed as a blocker, and how important you think it's been to this offense to have it be effective?
4: Yeah, uh, yeah, it is It is an air raid, and we have great receivers, and we got great quarterbacks, and I think they're showcasing that, but um, we have really good running backs and a good offensive line, too, and, um, and I think we've put up some good run numbers in a few games, and um, it is important to, to run the ball, and they're going to give us some fronts where we're going to have to run the ball if they're going to drop deep and play three-man lines, and that's something we're going to have to do. And um, you know, I think uh, playing in the backfield is a different skill set and something different that I've had to work on. And um, Yeah, it's been good to add that to your blocking Arsenal and being able to block on and off the ball is something I'll do forever so uh yeah it's been good you must like catching passes that's
1: you're, you're in there you know blocking's fun but you get to catch a pass everyone's on you had that big you know the one big play early in the year how you feel that's developed that part of your game developed this year
4: yeah um I mean just just throwing the ball every day for 20 minutes we're getting a lot more passing work than we have in the past um we're starting to incorporate the run work in there too um I think it's just had a really good balance of run and pass work in practice and I think coach Hill does a great job of Not only teaching routes, but teaching offense and spacing and defense and just all the things that come along with offense. Um, I think he's done a great job of just helping me and the rest of the tight ends out on spacing, where to get on your certain routes and, um, you know, the places where you can catch the ball. It's
1: Notre Dame week now, obviously a huge rival. What's it been like out here with everyone getting ready for, you know, what could be the biggest game of the year?
4: Yeah, uh, I think with a week kind of to get healthy, these last two practices, Um, have been really good Uh, we've been going going at it and I think they've been uh, very constructive we have a little bit of head start in the game plan so we're a little bit ahead uh, just on schedule in the week so it feels feels really good and um, yeah playing Notre Dame is is awesome they're a great team Uh, they got a they got a great uh, front seven their DNs are both captains so we got we got our hands full but uh, I think we'll be up to the challenge and I think you know we've uh, had a good week and a good head start to to get ready for them thanks and good luck thank you
2: USC's tight end struggled in 2018 a lot with blocking, and Eric Krohmanhoek, for his part, has really stepped up his game this season, which is a positive for USC, just given how much they use that H-back and how much they need uh, them to block up front.
3: Yeah, they've kind of used it as a unique kind of weapon in this air raid offense. We define the H-back as lining up in between the tackles off the line of scrimmage. They've used it 76 snaps this season. They're gaining 8.2 yards, like Ryan was saying in the piece. But they've really excelled the last two weeks, the last two games, getting 18 snaps against Washington for an average of 11.1 yards. And then against Utah, it was 12 snaps for 10.6 yards. So it seems like something that is gaining momentum as the season progresses too.
1: For this USC offense to go in South Bend, they're going to have to utilize that H-back spot. Eric Cromenhoek is going to play a big role again in this USC offense and help protect Keaton Slovis against some of those great pass rushers from Notre Dame. You might see true freshman Jude Wolf get his first action as a Trojan. Josh Fallow with an MCL sprain on a catch against Washington. He's out for this game, so we might see a little bit of the true freshman as well. How he works in this offense could be key. Also, all right, we're going to take a quick break. Come back with our Player Perspective segment where Keely Orr breaks things down with former USC All-American Safety, Taylor Mays.
5: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the
3: professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to the uscfootball.com paris pregame show. In this segment, we will look at the game from a player's perspective with host Keely Ur and former USC All-American safety
6: Taylor Mays.
2: Now, we're back with one of my favorite segments, if I do say so myself, Player's Perspective. Taylor, thanks so much for joining me again.
6: Keely, what's going on?
2: Now, before we dive into it, I just want to give a special thanks to Platinum Storage and Store Local Companies for sponsoring our show. Platinum Storage has locations all around Southern California, and you can find them online at PlatinumStorage.com. Now, I feel like this is a great week to have you for a Player's Perspective. It's Rivalry Week, USC, Notre Dame in South Bend. I guess first off, what does this rivalry mean to you?
6: Well, I think it's the greatest rivalry in college football. Obviously, I'm biased, but if you look at it, it's the only rivalry game that's based off of geography. We're not neighbors. We don't share the same state. We're almost halfway across the country. And if you group both schools up, USC and Notre Dame, you got 20-plus national championships. You have 14 Heisman Trophy winners. You have hundreds of All-Americans. This is statistically and historically the greatest rivalry in college football, in my opinion. But I'm biased. What do I know?
2: I mean, you do know a lot. That's why we have you on this segment. But as far as Notre Dame memories, does anything really stand out to you?
6: Well, I'd say it like this. I've always been a fan of college football. And uh, I remember being at home my senior year when in 2005, the Bush-Push game, it was like probably the most electric college football game that I had ever seen. And for me to be able to play against Notre Dame four times, I just want to say we did beat Notre Dame four times when I was in school. But one of my—I don't know if it's a great memory—I want to say one of the things that's kind of been instilled in the back of my mind is this play. My senior year, we were playing in South Bend. Jimmy Clausen was the quarterback. Uh, Golden Tate—he was—he's still playing now, great wide receiver. He ran a fade route down the defensive rights sideline, and I was playing in the middle of the field. I went and broke on the route, and I was kind of running from the middle third all the way to the right sideline. Ball was in the air, I went to go hit him. I kinda hit him, kinda missed. I rolled over, and that little green man with the green suit, the leprechaun, was basically standing above me, jumping up and down, all in my face, and I was like, there's no way, he caught the ball. Anyway, it was a touchdown. All the memories that I have from playing against Notre Dame, that's the only one that keeps popping up in my head. That little green man standing on top of me and dancing in my face, and I can't get it out of my head.
2: But even though you guys won four times, that's the memory that really sticks out to yeah, you. Yeah, it's
6: tough. You know, we won four times. Like I said, this it's the greatest rivalry in college football. I know it doesn't right now get the same attention that Alabama, Auburn, some of these other rivalries have. But if you look at the stats of it, it's the greatest rivalry.
2: But I guess in that sense, what does it mean to you to see this rivalry not be as strong, I guess, right now as it was maybe in your playing days?
6: Well, that's just kind of the ups and downs of college football, and that's how it works. I'm actually... Even though I'm not a fan of Notre Dame, I'm happy to see Notre Dame ranked high because I remember when Notre Dame struggled for a couple of years. And so that's kind of just how it works. I would like to see us be ranked and Notre Dame be ranked, but I think it's you know, in the same sense, it's a great opportunity for us and our guys to really experience the magic of college football, the magic of going to South Bend, playing in that stadium. You know, I, I'm just excited, regardless of us not being ranked or us being 3-2, I'm excited for our guys to have this opportunity to go into South Bend.
2: Well, the Trojans do get a boost getting Keenan Slowis back in the starting lineup. Given that Keaton has basically been out for three weeks, how do you prep him for this game? What are you going to expect from him come Saturday?
6: Well, the hard part about Keaton right now is that we don't have a baseline for how good he is as a quarterback. In reality, we've only really seen him play in two, two two-and-a-half games. He's played in one game on the road, so we don't really know what to expect. I think one of the biggest factors in this game is that he's playing on the road, and like we've said in previous shows, it's a completely different animal when you're playing on the road. The snap count is different, and Keaton struggled playing at BYU. Playing at Notre Dame and playing in South Bend is a completely different animal. Uh, The other thing I'm really interested in seeing is different players, especially quarterbacks, react very differently to concussion protocol. Yeah. It will be very interesting to see the type of pocket presence that he has. Is he going to be nervous? Is he thinking about getting hit in the head? Happy feet. Yeah. Does he trust his offensive linemen? Yeah. Things like that can really influence his decisions. Is he trying to get the ball out quick? I would hope that he has the presence in the pocket to sit back, take a hit, throw the ball out there to his receivers. That's something I think is going to be important within this game is he's still in his infancy as a quarterback for USC. But coming off of this concussion, where is he at mentally? And like you said, he hasn't really practiced. He's kind of got to get the speed of the defense back and the speed of the offense. And going against Notre Dame, they're not going to make it easy for him.
2: So whenever I talk to you about football, you always bring up the fact that at the end of the day, it's about doing your job. It's about man against man, getting that done. But could USC have an advantage in scheme in this game against Notre Dame?
6: Normally, football is about 11 guys in 11 individual one-on-one battles, and each guy has to win. But one of the things going into this game is Notre Dame has some key injuries on their defense. They lost a corner, uh, Sean Crawford, and he was actually playing a lot of nickel for them. And for us with our air raid offense, one of the things that we have to do is be able to match up our slot receivers on whoever they put in a nickel. Last week, uh, they used their leading tackler, Jeremiah Owosu, in the nickel. In reality, he's just a linebacker. He's pretty athletic, but at the same time, he's a linebacker. We have to exploit that opportunity. It's hard for starting nickels to cover in the slot because you're trying to trail a guy and your margin for error is a couple of inches. If we get a linebacker in the slot against one of our slot wide receivers, that is a matchup that we have to win. And we have to let our workhorses win the game for us. I think we have the number 26th ranked passing offense in the country. So that's something to be proud about. But for us to stay in this game, we have to exploit their hurt secondary.
2: Now, USC not only gets Keaton Slovis back, but they also get a boost in the secondary. Looks like right now Talanoa Hufunga, and Elijah Griffin will be good to go for Saturday. How much of a boost is that for USC's defense?
6: We need Talano out there. He's one of my favorite players on the team. He's developing really into a leader for the entire defense and for the entire team. I think just for the morale of the rest of the players on the defense, we need him out there. He's a young guy, but he's really taken on the role And he really wants the responsibility. When you talk to him, he's a great kid. He has all the right questions. He wants to be great. But in this game against Notre Dame, going against this offense, this rushing attack, we need him. It's imperative, especially when you're playing a big running back. We need him to get in there, be physical in the run game. A lot of times, the way that defenses are set up in the run gap fits, it's made so that the running back bounces to either the safety, who is the insert player, or the weak side linebacker. You want your best players in one-on-one situations to make tackles. Talanoa is obviously our best player on the defense, and we need him in there for that reason. The other person that we need is Elijah Griffin. He's not the biggest guy on the field, but he's definitely the most physical. I would bet he weighs what 170 pounds. He throws his body in there. He's the most competitive DB I've seen in a while. I mean, I've never seen, I haven't seen anybody have more fun than he has while he plays every play for him is like the last play that he'll ever play and we need his attitude his intensity his morale for this defense because you know against UW we looked flat we didn't look too physical these two guys could immediately change what we do on defense just with their presence their attitude and with the style of football that they play
2: now, you mentioned Notre Dame's rushing attack. That's something that Hufunga had actually said was his biggest concern about the Irish offense. How does this USC defense take care of Notre Dame's biggest weapon?
6: This USC football team has to be something that it hasn't been all year. We have to be more physical than our opponents. We talk about it all the time, but it is very important. It's imperative to football. And really, more than anything, we have to tackle well. You've seen us tackle okay at some times, and other times we really struggle. We have to show them that kids from California can play physical, smash-mouth football in cold weather in South Bend, Indiana in the month of October. That's what this game's going to come down to. Talanoa hit the nail on the head with it because they're going to try and control us. They're going to try and control the line of scrimmage, control possession of the clock. By running the football, they have a big running back, Tony Jones Jr. He's 6'2", 220 pounds. He gets downhill, he squares his shoulder up to the line of scrimmage and tries to run through you. We need at least four or five guys at least on the tackle. If we don't do that, he's going to run through arm tackles and we're going to struggle all day. It's going to open him up to use receivers downfield like Chase Claypool. He's not the greatest wide receiver, but he's good enough. Their quarterback, Ian Book, not the greatest quarterback, but he's good enough if they're running the football well. It opens it up for play action passes downfield. They can take shots downfield, they can run screen plays. We have to stop the run game. If we don't, we have no chance in this game.
2: Okay, it's so that time of the segment, time for predictions, Taylor. Not to put pressure on you, but you have been undefeated so far this season, so don't mess it up.
6: Well, there's no pressure. You know, I'm cool under pressure and okay. I got ice in my veins when it comes to this. But uh, before I give you my prediction on this game, one thing I have to say is, what does this USC team want from this season? I think that's really what comes into assessing this game. How does this team want to be perceived? What is the identity of this team? And I know they want to go to a Rose Bowl and all that. But at the same time, when I look up this Notre Dame team, I know what they want. They want to play in the college football playoff. I don't know what our expectations are at this point in the year. We're 3-2. and two. We've played well. We've struggled. I think this team really needs to dig down and figure out what they're playing for and then go out there and show it. So to me, there's two USC teams right now, and I think this has been kind of the case over the last couple years. We know physically that we match up against Notre Dame, but there's a mental aspect that we don't fully grasp right now, and it's really hindering us from being a great football team. With that being said, I have to say that I don't think we're going to get blown out I think it'll be a lot like the Utah game. I think we'll come out, we'll match up with them. And if we do certain things, I think people will be very surprised. I think USC will win this football game. Wow. Yeah, I think USC will go toe-to-toe with Notre Dame. No,
2: okay, there's a difference between going toe-to-toe and winning.
6: I think we can win this football game.
2: But what do you think is going to happen? You can think whatever. Yeah, I know. All right.
6: right. It just depends on what team shows up for us.
2: So what team do you think is going to show up?
6: The wartime Warrior USC team will show up on Saturday. So you're going for an upset. I'm going for an upset. But to me, I don't call it an upset because, hey, we're USC. And I think that's the mentality that our players on the team have to have.
2: Now, I said I have no reason to doubt you. You are undefeated. So we'll see. You're putting that on the line this week. I'm putting a lot of that
6: out there, you know. I got to take a shot sometimes. I got to show my loyalty to my school. Shoot your shot. I respect you
2: know? it. All righty, Taylor. Thanks so much for coming on. Hopefully
6: it's not an airball shot. <laughs> <laughs>
2: we shall see, but thanks yeah. for coming on. All right. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going behind enemy lines, getting the full scoop about the Irish from someone who knows them well.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. Welcome back to the uscfootball.com Peristyle Pregame Show. In this segment, host Ryan Abraham will go behind enemy lines
1: and get insight on the game from USC's opponent's point of view. Before we get to our guests, I'd like to thank Trader Joe's for their sponsorship of the uscfootball.com Peristyle Pregame Show. The next time you visit the USC campus, check out Trader Joe's at the USC Village where you'll find food and drink from the everyday to the oddly interesting, all at amazing prices. You can't miss the store. It's the Big Red Brick Building. All right, let's bring in our guest here on Behind Enemy Lines, Tim O'Malley. Follow him on Twitter at Tim O'Malley ND. He's a reporter and writer for Irish Illustrated.com here on the 24-7 Sports Network. We're gonna preview USC and Notre Dame with Tim. Thanks for joining us, man. How are you doing?
7: Hey, thanks, Brian. Good to be back.
1: Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Uh no quarterback uh, you know, controversy or no quarterback battle this year. I think it was the first time in a while for Brian Kelly. Ian Book, um, you, know, had some, you know, it seems like he's playing pretty well. What are some of his strengths and weaknesses? And what have you seen from him so far this year?
7: Yeah, it's, it's been so long. Brian Kelly actually referenced it. That there's no quarter, there's no quarterback issue, usually, quarter, uh, coaches aren't going to bring that up like the media does. But I mean, aside from when Everett Golson got suspended. This, there's never been a year under Brian Kelly where there hasn't been some intrigue. <laughs> uh, book, book, <laughs> seriously, that is, that is it. It's <laughs> just because they had no chance of intrigue. But uh, yeah, book has had a good year. It is it, statistically great. Uh, it's been a lot of it was against New Mexico and Bowling Green for the gaudy stats. Uh, I thought he played well. I'm sure most people, if they see Notre Dame play this year was against Georgia I thought he played well. Then he we threw one bad interception on the flea flicker, um, and then you know he threw an interception where a Georgia guy makes a great play. But if he competes like that all year, I, I think Notre Dame is going to continue winning through regular season's end. Every once in a while, he looks a little shaky than shakier than you would think for a senior quarterback when he doesn't know where the pressure's coming from. He tends to bail out of the pocket. It's become a Major sticking point for Notre Dame fans, I think really only because he did it so often against Clemson when he had to bail out of the pocket. And, of course, when Notre Dame fans see their team get beaten down in a playoff game, they tend to remember the quarterback's performance. If that would be one criticism of book, he does occasionally feel phantom pressure as a senior. You would not expect that. But, I mean, when he's going, he's a really accurate guy, short and medium. And uh, the offense tends to get very hot when he starts hot early.
1: Yeah, Clemson defensive line. That wasn't phantom pressure. That was real pressure. Because <laughs> there, no, there was the, nothing
7: that, that was real pressure. and He wasn't going anywhere. If he stayed in the pocket, it would not have worked out either. So there was no. I, I gave him a pass on that one. I don't think that was all his fault.
1: Yeah. Um, so we, one of the weird stats is that that Notre Dame doesn't actually run a whole lot of plays. I think it's like sixty-two point four. But you're getting uh, a lot of production, top ten production on each play. Uh, it seems like it's a kind of a chunk play, explosive play kind of offense. Is that how you'd kind of characterize it?
7: yeah, they've had 75 plays of 10 yards or more, and 50 of them come from about five guys. Now, the odd thing for Notre Dame was the first three games, and this includes Georgia, so that that one makes sense, but Louisville and New Mexico do not. They were having trouble sustaining drives, so they would either go down and score right away, or they were going three and out. They had way too many three and outs. Virginia was kind of up and down also. I will say Virginia has a very good defense, and they bring some pressure, and it eventually affected book. There's a lot of big plays. There's big plays against everyone, but as I said, there are more against the likes of Bowling Green and New Mexico, naturally. I think it's a very good Irish offense. It will not be great, I don't think, at any point this year, but the offensive line is gelling the last two games, getting Cole Komet back. Uh, for the Georgia game was big they're going to get Jafar Armstrong back their lead running back this week I don't think he will be great his first game back from abdominal surgery that occurred in early September they're probably kind of working him into it he's a pretty versatile weapon and he can come in there and and kind of help Tony Jones who's one of the better slow running backs you'll play against this year if you're a USC fan
1: what was the uh, how's the offensive line kind of developed uh this year it's USC's Strength on defense probably has to be the defensive line. It seems like this Notre Dame offensive line's got better as the season wore on. How would you kind of characterize what they've done this year?
7: Yeah, it really has. I think if you caught Notre Dame uh, in the opener week two, the USC defensive line would have had a heck of a day. Uh, the last two weeks, they looked really good. They, they settled in against Virginia and just wore down Virginia in the running game of the fourth quarter. Uh, I thought they held their own against Georgia for Ian Book throwing 47 passes and not getting sacked. And, Not getting terribly pressured, really. Um, They did not run the ball well against Georgia at all, but Brian Kelly and Chip Long have both said publicly and privately, we went into that game knowing we were not going to try to run because Georgia's rush defense was going to kind of overmatch Notre Dame. They were down to three running backs. Uh, The offensive line had not gelled yet, and they just didn't want to have too many negative plays. I think. Notre Dame will be able to run the ball Saturday. Uh, if they do, they'll win. If they don't, that is what the recipe for the upset is for USC because then it goes back to book having to make plays. And, you know, there's some athletes coming at him from USC. I think running the ball is going to be crucial for Notre Dame on Saturday.
1: Switching uh, to the defensive side of the ball, I said USC strength on the defense was the defensive line. Certainly on offense, it's the wide receiver core that's the best group in the Pac 12. These USC receivers are great. What can they expect as a matchup with the Notre Dame secondary, and how important is it that fifth-year senior uh, Sean Crawford's out with a dislocated elbow?
7: I think that's a big deal, because with Crawford and Troy Pride, who's a senior, uh, Pride played pretty well against USC last year. He forced a fumble in the red zone. Uh, Tyler Vaughn's got him for the touchdown at the end of the game, but... And that was Tyler Vaughn's leaping nine feet in the air and having a touchdown pass down the post. So you can't put that all on Pride. Uh, with Pride and Crawford, they had two make, playmaking corners and a guy that's kind of coming on, Tariq Bracy, who's a kind of smallish sophomore. Now, Trojan fans could remember Bracy because Michael Pittman effectively benched Tariq Bracy for the Cotton Bowl just by how he tore him up at the uh, Coliseum last year. He's obviously approved. He's a sophomore now, but he's a starter. The advantage USC's receivers have over the corners cannot be overstated. I will say that Notre Dame's safeties are among the best in the country in that they have two seniors that really know what they're doing, have been through it, in Elohi Gilman and Jalen Elliott. They can both match up one-on-one. You don't want them one-on-one with USC's receivers, but they can really cover. And then the best player in the program in the future, and a very good player right now, is freshman safety Kyle Hamilton, who comes in the nickel. And I think Norton's gonna find a way to use the nickel quite a bit in this game because he is a phenomenal athlete. Um, at least, and this is from multiple sources, 17 training camp interceptions for the true
8: freshman. Whoa. Uh,
7: he's got he's got two already. And the odd thing is he's six four, two ten. He looks like a string bean, but he's one of those guys that has a little bit of a screw loose and he hits like he's two thirty. <laughs> so he is probably Norton's best he's one of Norton's best athletes they've had since the Lou Holtz era, and He's kind of coming into his own, and this is going to be a big game for him because they will need him just to match up against the receivers out there. They, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little bit of Kyle Hamilton going some one-on-one because he's just that good of an athlete.
1: What kind of coverages do, does this Notre Dame secondary play, or even the back seven? Because we've seen, especially when USC went on the road, when when teams will drop eight back into coverage a lot or just kind of dr- you know drop into some kind of zone and do what they can to take away USC's deep threats and take away the wide receivers, even the intermediate routes, it's really kind of confused the USC offense at times. We saw the young quarterbacks throw a bunch of picks. We talked to Graham Harrell, the offensive coordinator. He says, usually teams aren't going to do that if they don't do that You know, at some point in their packages. Is that kind of one of the packages that Notre Dame uses? And what's kind of the typical defense you'd see from this back seven?
7: Yeah, they do. With, with Crawford, they had a dime they went to often. I say nickel now because they used to use a dime, which was six defensive backs, Crawford and Bracey. Uh, and Troy Pride, plus those three safeties. They brought in a redshirt freshman linebacker named Jack Lamb, and then they let the four guys loose up front and played zone behind him, or man under and zone over the top. It is probably going to be a nickel now, just because they don't have another defensive back to put in that they would trust. Um, The Rover, who's yeah, he's a hybrid linebacker safety, but he's more of a linebacker as uh, Jeremiah Usu koromoa He started playing a little man-to-man last week. I think they were testing it out, and he did very well, but it's Bowling Green. Brian Kelly's already said, look, man, he's not playing man-to-man against USC in the slot. I'm on Ross St. Brown. So there's going to be a lot of zone action there. He's another very good athlete. He was a lightly recruited player that signed with Notre Dame out of Virginia, and uh, he flipped from Virginia. Actually, when Notre Dame had that bad season in 2016, he flips near signing day, and he's proven to be a very good first-year time, first starter here as a junior. So he's one of their better athletes as well. But, yeah, it's going to be – I think there will be a lot of zone or you're know, man under and zone on top with uh, – they're just going to unleash the front four because they really like their pass-rushing quartet when they're in the nickel and dime. They, they bring in three defensive ends and one defensive tackle.
1: Yeah, whose Koromora, I think he's Notre Dame's leading tackler if I'm not mistaken and it seemed like his role did change a little bit but you don't think it will be much different when they play USC.
7: Yeah, I think he just gets more snaps because he would come out in the dime uh with the 6 Bs. now he stays in the nickel you, you won't see a dime I don't, they don't they don't have a dime <laughs> they don't trust their other quarterbacks so there, they, there probably won't be a dime against USC they definitely don't trust them against USC's receivers so he'll be on the field a lot I mean he'll he'll tackling is going to be important because he's going to, if he is matched up in the slot and even though you have, you know, help over the top, he's still going to play a little bit of one-on-one. So tackling will be key for him. He's a very good athlete, good tackler this year. Um, obviously I'm on rough St. Brown in space is a problem for him, but uh, I think the the goal for Notre Dame is just to unleash those defensive ends in, in certain long situations. And with, with seven guys back, they believe that Julian Aquara, uh, Khalid Kareem, especially the, that pair can get there. Uh, Dalen Hayes, the former USC commit is out for the season. His replacement is a senior, Jameer Jones, who was going to redshirt as a true senior. Um, but when Hayes went down, he came in and he he came in and kind of turned the Virginia game around with a strip sack touchdown, and he's he's been playing well since. Hayes is really coming along. I, I think it. I don't know if there's a drop off this year. There is in the future because they would have had Jameer Jones next year, and, and now they won't. But they their their depth at defensive end is the strength of the team, and you may have never heard a Notre Dame reporter say that, in the. Years you've been covering USC, but that's really where it's come.
1: Yeah, a couple of senior captains, um, forty-five tackles for loss. I mean, that's pretty crazy. Those numbers are crazy as far as like like what like nine a game or something. It seems like there's a lot of play going on in the opponent's backfield.
7: Yeah, and there's, there's, there's honestly there's a lot of stuff that zero one and two games too. They, they've they that front has been better than we thought because the defensive tackles when they lost Jerry Tillery, we thought well you know it's just a couple of guys now. Well. They have a good four-man rotation inside, and, and they've been playing. I guess it's not above their heads anymore because it's five games, but they've played way better than we thought they would. You know, the early spring, every Notre Dame writer thought interior defensive line is the weakness because one guy was a true freshman. There were two juniors that had not distinguished, and there was an undersized sophomore. By the end of the spring, we realized, all right, it's not the weakness, but it won't be a differentiator. And now all of a sudden, it seems like it's part of the differentiator. So shows you what we know, but they are, they are playing very well up front.
1: Tim O'Malley does a great job covering the Fighting Irish for irishillustrated.com. Make sure you check out his stuff. Thanks, Tim.
7: Hey, thanks a lot, Ryan. And uh, yeah, maybe could get a break. People coming out here, you might have a uh, maybe get the 55 range, but I think our 70 degrees are gone and it times out well, I guess, for uh, Notre Dame fans that want to see USC fans cold.
1: Yeah, bring your uh, coats and gloves. It could be in the 40s. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Be back for our final
8: segment here on the Peristyle pregame show. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Welcome back to the uscfootball.com paris pregame
1: show. Here's your host, Ryan Abraham. We are going to finish up the show with Chris Trevino's five bold predictions for USC Notre Dame. Then we're going to hear from former USC tailback DeLon Washington will give his thoughts on what this rivalry means. And finally, Keely Shotgun and I will give our game predictions. Special thanks to Platinum Storage and the store local companies for sponsoring the uscfootball.com peristyle pregame show. Platinum Storage has locations all around Southern California, and you can find them online at platinumstorage.com. All right, here's Chris
8: Trevino's five bold predictions. This is Chris Trevino with uscfootball.com bringing you another five predictions for USC's matchup with number nine Notre Dame. Prediction number one, USC throws for at least 200 passing yards. Now, 200 passing yards is nothing to an air-raid offense, but Notre Dame's defense has been pretty stingy as a pass defense, allowing just 183 yards per game, number 17th in the country. Only one team has surpassed 200 passing yards on them, and that was Virginia with 334. In fact, the secondary has only allowed three passing touchdowns and two came by the Cavaliers. Getting Keaton Slovis back is a big boost for this USC offense, and if they can get the Keaton of Stanford as opposed to the Keaton at BYU... USC should have no problem hitting this mark. Prediction number two. Marquis Step sets a new career-high rushing mark. Now this game will be a homecoming of sorts for Marquis Step, who is an Indianapolis native and a one-time Notre Dame commit. Step is coming off a career-high performance against Washington with a career-high 10 carries and a career-high 62 rushing yards. Overall, there was a lot of hype around Step after the bye week coming into this game, and we could see another double-digit carry night. And one last note, per pro football focus, 52% of steps carries this season have yielded a first down. That's first among all FBS running backs with at least 25 carries. That's the type of production you need for a road upset like this. Prediction number three: freshman tight end Jude Wolf records his first career reception. Assuming Josh Fallow and his MCL sprain don't make a miraculous recovery this weekend, USC is down to two scholarship tight ends. One being the freshman Jude Wolf, who has not played in a game this season. Coming out of St. John Bosco, Wolf was seen as a perfect blend of blocking and receiving but the coaches have seen a big jump in his blocking since he arrived in the spring. Assuming the two tight end sets will be used a lot by USC this weekend, I think Wolf can have an opportunity to snag his first catch, most likely on a short route. Also, him and Slovis were roommates in the spring, so there is some familiarity there. Prediction number four, senior defensive end Christian Rector breaks his sack drought. I was very high on Rector coming to the season. I even picked him to lead the Pac-12 in sacks in my season-long predictions. But 2019 has not started off right for the senior, with just one sack in four games. Now, to be fair, an ankle injury has sapped a lot of his ability. But a healthy rector coming off the bye week is a big boost for USC's defense. I think it's time to bust that slump. In 2017, he recorded two tackles for a loss against the Irish, but was blanked in 2018. So this would be his first career sack against Notre Dame. And prediction number five, there is a wide receiver fumble in this game. Now this matchup will feature two top 35 passing attacks, so I expect a lot of pass attempts on Saturday. Now either side can satisfy this prediction, but we know USC has struggled with turnovers, while the Notre Dame defense is pretty good at forcing them. Notre Dame has recovered eight fumbles this season, number two in the country. They also have 14 total turnovers, another top five mark. USC, on the other hand, has 13 turnovers, number 121 in the nation. USC has also given away four fumbles and recovered four fumbles. Again, this is Chris Shamino with uscfootball.com, and those are my five predictions for USC versus Notre Dame.
2: So definitely some interesting, bold predictions from Chris there. I'm definitely looking at number two, Marquis Stebb. I got to talk to him this week about what this game means to him. He couldn't really hide it. He grew up as a Notre Dame fan. <laughs> I asked him how many tickets he's trying to get for family. He said right now about 40 family members are coming. He's trying to barter with teammates to get extra tickets. Uh, but it will be interesting to see. He had a career-high 10 carries on 62 yards against UW. Uh, Clay Helton said this week that Vivai Malapai, the normal starter, is still banged up with that knee injury that never really healed from fall camp so you will see step more in this game and I don't know maybe being home having family looking at him some magic might happen so something I'm definitely gonna look for on Saturday
1: it could be a big homecoming for him and like Chris said 52 percent of his carries have gone for either first downs or touchdowns he can be a big play back for USC and you know 10 carries last week that's his career high does he get more than double digits? I'm kind of thinking it goes closer to 15 than 10, but
3: we'll, we'll see, especially if Vi is uh, limited, like you said. It will depend on how much they actually use the run game. You know, we've seen them in the pistol some in the past. You know, last week they used the pit or last game they used the pistol really successfully. You know, Marquis Step actually told Keeley that he he prefers the pistol. You know, yeah. gets, gets him going downhill a little bit more. Gets him with blockers. his body type too. It's better downhill. You That's know? what he told me. Yeah, definitely. And you get the H back out in front. You know, you can you can make some things happen there. I think that he's got a chance to to have a good game. You know, but running the ball is going to be key to this offense. It's been the key for the air raid offense for them. These these uh, past few games, it's how they set the table, you know, against defenses trying to drop eight and do different things like that. So I, I think that that's going to be key. But when they do throw the ball can they hold on to the ball oh. you, know, you know Notre Dame being really good at stripping the ball they've had a ton of turnovers this year part of it is they go in with the intent to strip the ball anytime you catch it so the wide receiver fumbles that Chris talked about that was an issue last year you know Michael Pittman Jr and amon Ross St. Brown both had fumbles you also had two plays where Tyler Vons and Michael Pittman were down and the ball came out then they had to be reviewed so four times the ball popped out from receivers that's something Michael Pittman told me that they've been working on you know just making Sure to take uh, take good care of it. You know they're going to be covering up the ball extra tight, especially around the the DBs. Alohi Gilman, the safety, has been really good at at creating uh, you know positive plays for the defense and with strips and different things like that. So that's what I'm really looking at.
1: You know, you, it's a really interesting prediction from him, like a wide receiver fumble. That's just kind of random. It could be from either side, but I remember that too. And shotgun, you looked it up, having those you know a couple of fumbles from wide receivers last year and a couple more that were reviewed. He must be leaning towards the USC side cause we haven't seen a lot from the, the Notre Dame wide receivers that they would be turning the ball over. But this is, you have to avoid that if you're, you're USC, Keeley. Three turnovers for, through the air with interceptions, you can't do that. But you can't have wide receivers, your best group on the team, fumbling the ball either.
2: Now, to be fair, USC's wide receivers have taken care of the ball for the most part. Tyler Vons has only one fumble on this year for USC's receiving core, but USC has 13 straight games with at least one turnover, 29 total in that span. So USC definitely needs to take care of the ball going forward.
1: Yeah, in 10 of those games, there were multiple turnover games for USC. And so far on the year, the Irish have only lost two fumbles. So I think Chris's prediction is leaning more towards the USC side. We will see. Sticking with the passing game, I do think USC is going to throw for more than 200 yards. Keaton Slovis, USC's wide receiver core, you know how good they are. Virginia did it against the Irish, but that's the only team Notre Dame has allowed to pass for more than 200 yards. Will Jude Wolf get his first career reception? We haven't seen a ton out of that. I think they're going to use him quite a bit as a blocker, but maybe they sneak him out there and he catches a pass or something. So it'll be interesting to see, but... This passing game shotgun has to work. They have to get more than 200 yards. I just don't envision a way USC could win this game otherwise.
3: And and it's not like that Notre Dame's gone up against, you know, some of the best offenses in the country. I mean, the only really good offense is Georgia, and they're known for what? Their run game. You know, Jake Fromm's going to manage the game and not do too much. So I I think that Notre Dame hasn't been challenged against a receiving core like USC's and a, you know, an offense that wants to push the ball down the field, that wants to pass the ball more than it runs. You know, so I I think that, that that one's, going to be broken pretty easily. We will see. There's a lot of
1: uh, X's and O's for this USC Notre Dame game. Do you throw the records out the window because it's a big rivalry? It does mean a lot. It means a lot to the players. It means a lot to the coaches. could mean a lot for Clay Helton and the fans, the alumni. They really want to go out and win this game. And I love the history of this rivalry, guys. And we had this week check out the Peristyle Podcast. We had DeLon Washington. If you remember, back in 1996, it wasn't going so well, USC versus Notre Dame. 13 straight years, USC failed to beat the fighting Irish. They finally got through, even though they had a losing record, they went through and beat Notre Dame in 1996. And DeLon Washington, USC's tailback, was a big reason why he tied the game with a... Touchdown run and two-point conversion. USC ended up winning in overtime when Marcus Sano batted away that Ron Palace pass. So we got to catch up with DeLon Washington. And this is a little segment from our conversation with him, what the Notre Dame matchup means to him.
5: I came to USC for a reason. I came to USC because of the tradition uh, that I learned over the, the the time from my recruiting all the way until I graduated. Uh, great tradition. Uh, we're family, regardless of wh- where we're at. If we're in Texas, if we're in Florida, if we're in New York, you have SC family. Notre Dame. You know, I have <laughs> friends that play for Notre Dame. And, you know, you you run into them guys and you like, you know what? We're still bashing your heads. <laughs> so it gives us a bragging right, not just only in L.A., over the United States or in overseas, you get a chance to brag about SC beating Notre Dame. So keeping the streak going, hopefully we can, we can get it done. Uh, You may not know, we do have a couple of, uh, well, one Trojan that's coaching over there. So, (laughs) but like I tell him, I say, Hey, I'm on, I'm, I'm, I'm on the SC side, this game. So,
1: you have a friend that's coaching at Notre Dame.
5: Yeah, Delvon Alexander used to play uh, receiver at the USC. Oh, cool. Yeah, okay. he's he's over there coaching the receivers. So, you know, I talk to him from time to time. So, yeah, yeah. So it, it's 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 a uh, tradition for us. We have to win this game to keep the streak going. To keep the tradition going. To keep the bragging rights going. That's it.
3: And Delvon Alexander coached up Equanimius St. Brown, so it's not only probably the most unique rivalry in the country with USC and Notre Dame traveling across the way each year, but it's also a family rivalry for the St. Browns. And you know it's unique rivalry because a lot of these players get recruited by both of these schools, so you see people on both rosters that have some tendencies or ties to the coaches on the other side. So we'll see how it kind of plays out. It's always a unique one.
2: For sure. Alrighty, guys. It's that time of the show. Predictions. Ryan, how do you think this one's gonna go?
1: Yeah, I've not been great with my predictions this year, <laughs> but I feel like, you know, this is an eleven point spread. I think Notre Dame's gonna cover USC. Didn't have a really great trip to South Bend two years ago with Keaton Slovis. I like that he's coming back. I think it's gonna help USC. But I think the Irish are going to take care of business 35 21.
3: The rule is always just bet against USC in the spread, right? You know, <laughs> never take USC. But for some reason, I'm thinking this is going to be a close one. You know, it, like I said, it's a unique and it's a weird rivalry, too. When you at you least expect it is when something, uh, you know, steps out and, and becomes different in the rivalry. So I'm, I'm going to go 28 24. I oh. think that Notre Dame still wins it, but I think it's going to be a tight one. So we'll okay. see.
2: I'm going to go more the 2017 Notre Dame-USC route.
3: Ooh.
1: I know.
2: I just think on the road, Keen Slovis, inexperienced on the road. I'm going to go 49-21 Ooh. Notre Dame.
1: Wow, Keely with the blowout prediction. I'm
2: sorry, guys.
1: We will see. All right, well, thanks for hanging with us early on USC Game Day for Notre Dame Week. Thanks to our sponsors, Trader Joe's, Platinum Storage. Thanks to Keely, Shotgun, Chris Trevino, Tim O'Malley, and Taylor Mays. Make sure you check back on KABC Radio on Fridays at midnight for the Peristyle pregame show. Enjoy the game, and we'll talk to you next time.